I wanted to do part two uh, of my series this morning, Stockholm Syndrome. We're going to finish this up this morning, and then we're going to, as I said, Pastor Rusty will be here next week with uh, Father's Day. And so we wanted to kind of, I wanted to continue with this and uh, kind of finish this out uh, on this story. And so we talked last week about uh, Patty Hearst, and many of you remember that, kidnapped in 1974, uh, and then helped this group rob a bank. And uh, she was with them for about a year and a half. The FBI caught up to him, got her back. And when they got her back, uh, they decided that she helped them commit these crimes. And it didn't matter that you were kidnapped and they abducted you. Uh, you know, we're going to indict you and you're going to go to court. And she got sentenced 35 years in prison. Now, she served about a year and a half in prison. And then the president, President Carter at the time, uh, let her out because her attorney, her lawyer, came up with Stockholm Syndrome. And what Stockholm Syndrome is, let me read you the definition right here. It says the feeling of trust or affection felt in certain cases of kidnapping or hostage taking by a victim towards a captor. So what she did is as she was with this group for more than a year, uh, she began to feel affection. She began to trust them. And probably what happened is they say as a captor, uh, as a person who kidnaps you, they do something nice for you, maybe bring you a meal. Uh, Maybe, you know, if you're tied up, they help your wrist or something like this. They help you. Uh, They show kindness or goodness that you begin to let your guard down and you begin begin to trust them. And then she's with this group all of the time. She was 19 years old, just a teenager, and they begin to brainwash her and turn her uh, to, to think that they were the good guys and running from the FBI of the people that were trying to help her. And so that's what we learned last week. Before we jump into the rest, I just want us to bow our heads and pray, and, and then we'll continue. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would guide and direct us this morning. Father, I pray that you would speak through me, that it's not my words, but your words. Father, I pray that our hearts and our eyes and our ears are open and ready to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. We read the verse, Romans 12, uh, verse 2, and it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so last week, uh, if you missed it, I really encourage you to get on to the podcast and listen to it. Uh, last Sunday, when, when I left, I was kind of, I kind of felt like I didn't say everything I wanted to say. I felt like I didn't uh, deliver it in the way I wanted to. So uh, Thursdays, we mowed the church. We mow all of our, our property around here dad and I. And so I just put my headphones on and I listened to my message on the podcast. And my God, was it good. I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to brag on myself. I mean, I was saying something like, I don't even remember saying that. I need some notes to write this down. And then, and then I remembered as I was studying, I'd remembered some stuff that dad had talked about and enforcing the cross over your domain. And I was kind of thinking, that's kind of what I want to do with part two. So I backed up to his series on 2016 and listened to a couple of those and thought, good Lord, we just need to have like a Sunday where we're like, we're just going to play the podcast this morning. Everybody sit back, relax, because it's so good. If you're thinking, what should I do for devotions. I want to get closer to God, but I don't know how. Listen to the podcast. I'm serious. I mean, it ministered to me so much. I mean, I, in the time that we mowed, that I mowed my yard, I could listen to my message. And if you go to work, you have a commute, you mow your yard, pop some headphones in and listen to that because it's incredible. And so, um, we talked about not conforming to the world and how that as Stockholm Syndrome, that is set in in most of our lives. And in our world, and more importantly, our culture, we begin to have trust or affection for our culture. And then 
Um, what happens is, is we begin to believe the way the world views things is the right way. We begin to have trust or affection for the way the world or our culture views family, work, love, sex, money, parenting, and, and many other things in our lives. We, you know, as I've studied for this series, I'm always amazed at what's in the Bible. I'm always amazed as I Google things and search out verses and, and, and go back and see what verses really mean, even in the Greek and what words mean, what the Bible says. And I believe 100% that every question to your life, the answer is in the Bible. And all you have to do is open it and dig into it. And I know that can be hard. That can be daunting. That can be like, I don't even know where to begin. And a great place, this is crazy enough, is Google. You can Google, what does the Bible say about love? What does the Bible say about parenting? What does the Bible say about sex? What does the Bible say about marriage? And what we do is, is we just begin to accept what we're fed through our culture, through media and through entertainment and through movies and music. And we begin to just accept this as this is the way things are. And what we end up doing then is we begin to reject the word. We don't turn to our Bible. We don't turn to church. We don't turn to our pastor. We don't turn to our Christian friends. What we turn to is what the world says, right? And, and some things are easy, you know, we, we kind of have a moral compass. We know, I kind of know this is right and this is wrong. But then we move into like, well, money. Well, you know, I looked up like how many times is the word money in the Bible? And it's like over 250 times does the Bible mention money. And so what I want to encourage you with this morning is, is that we don't conform to the world, but that we renew our mind. And, and the way we do that is through the word of God. And the way you do that is by getting in the word and, and by seeking out what you, you have questions to. And the thing is, is, uh, you know, Pastor Esty and Miss Vicki were in Florida uh, last week, and I'm preparing for my message last week. And I would come up to a stump and I'm like grabbing my phone because I got to call dad because I got to ask him a question. Like, what does this mean? What does this say? Have you heard this? What, what, what else is there to this verse? You know, and, and if I called and it's like, mom would answer, where's dad? Oh, we're busy. No, you're not. I need to talk to dad. And, and, and Pastor Rusty is an amazing resource. And if you ever have any questions, I know that on Sunday in the office, you can call and say, man, I read this verse. And what does that verse really mean? And, and, and don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to research. Don't be afraid to think, I don't know what this means, or I don't know what this is talking about. Then Hebrews 13, 14, it says, for this word, world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. And so we talked about how that this world is not our permanent home. And what we've decided is, is that this is it. That this is all there is. There's nothing more uh, than this. All the happiness, the joy, the, the pain, the suffering that you're ever going to experience is right here on this earth. And frankly, that's just not true. The Bible says that we're looking forward to the home yet to come. And what happens is, is we settle into this Stockholm syndrome. We settle in to begin to trust and have affection for, like we like the things of the world. And it's okay, you, you know, uh, we have a boat, we just recently got it worked on, it's a little just like five passenger, you know, like 15, 16 foot boat, and, and you know what I want? I want a bigger boat, I want a better boat, you know, I mean, boat, boats are $100,000, I mean, I don't know who buys that kind of boat, but you know, it's like you're always wanting bigger and better, you buy a car, you want a bigger and better car, and that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that, but what happens is, is that begins to overtake our lives, that begins to become the purpose of our lives, is what I can get what I need and what I want. What we have to realize is that this is not our permanent home. 
that Jesus is coming back. He is going to return, and he is going to set up his kingdom here. He is going to restore everything. This is not the place that you're going to experience all the happiness and all the joy in your life. But we can't even compare, we can't even think of or fathom what Christ is going to do. And so we have to be in that mindset. The word says to be heavenly minded, not earthly minded. And so we have to keep our focus on Jesus and on heaven. And so um, I, I read to you last week, this is 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And uh, I want to I elaborate on this and kind of help you understand this uh, even more. It says, Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So that's not you because you do believe. He hasn't blinded you. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now, we talked about this verse and Satan, who is the God of this world. And I wanted just to bring some more clarity to this and help you understand. Now, when they say world, a pastor talked to somebody this week and they're like, man, what does the world mean? Is that like the universe? Does the devil like own Mars? Does he have like, you know, a, a, a hangout on Mars? The world is just the world. The dirt ball that we hang out on that flies around the sun, that's the world. Uh, God owns everything else. And you, you might say, well, how did that happen? How did the devil get control of the world? Well, in the beginning, we know Genesis chapter 1, that God created the heavens and the earth. God had domain of the earth. And the Bible talks about that halfway through Genesis chapter 1, about verse uh, 20 in there. Uh, he says, let's make man in our image. Let's make him look like us. And he's talking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, let's make him look like us. He does that. And he says, I want to give them dominion or rule over the earth, right? I want them to rule the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the land, everything. He gave it to Adam and Eve. Then we know the story very well. We jump to chapter 3, and in the garden, uh, Adam and Eve are walking through. They, they come up on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan, the serpent, comes down and says, hey, don't you want to eat this? And they say, man, God told us not to do this. And he said, God's lying to you. This will make you like God. This will make you immortal. You want to eat this fruit. And so it convinces them to do that. At that moment, the Bible says that sin entered the world. And what Adam and Eve did is they gave their dominion of the world to the devil. Okay. Now we fast forward to Jesus in the desert. He fasted 40 days, 40 nights, comes to the end. The devil shows up to tempt him three different times. The very last one, he takes him up on a hill. He shows him uh, everything, kind of the world, all the cities. And he says, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give this all to you. And we know that he says, you know, no, I put no gods before, before my God. Now, the funny thing is, is why didn't Jesus just say, hey, we built all this. This is ours. He didn't say that. Why? Because the devil is the ruler of this world because Adam and Eve gave their dominion of the world to Satan. They gave that over to him. Now, if you have that view of the world, if you have that mindset, a lot of things can make sense. A lot of pain, a lot of suffering can make sense in our lives because Satan is the ruler of this world. And as we settle into Stockholm Syndrome, as we settle into have trust and affection, what we can begin to think is as well, even, even to the point of there really is no devil. Men are just bad, right? Men are bad, right? The, all the terrible terrorist attacks and, and, and shootings and horrible things that happen, men are just bad. And there is truth in that. But then we begin to move in to think that the devil's really not bad. Men are just bad. And then we very easily slip off into God is bad, right? And that God uh, is our enemy. And we don't think that Satan is our enemy. And we slip into this mindset um, that, that God's not good and that God can't be trusted. And Satan used that very thing in the garden to get Adam and Eve. 
And through all the years, the, the thousands of years ago that that was, Satan has, hadn't had to come up with any new material. He's used it on you through tragedy and watching the news, things that have happened in your own personal life. What does the devil say? God's not good. Right? That's the cry of our heart when we say, why, God? Why me? We're saying, God, you're, you're not good. You can't be trusted. And what happened is, as I tell the kids in Ground Zero this, is that we think that sin is like an action, right? If I steal, that's a sin. But what sin is, is a disease. And the action is just the symptom of the disease, right? When, when they took the fruit, sin entered the world, right? And, and like a curse, it took over the world and, and it came over every person, every, every animal, all of the plants and everything uh, that, that are here. The Bible talks about how that the, the world groans, that the world groans uh, waiting for the day for Christ to return because it had to go under the curse against its own will. What about the earth, the dirt bowl that we plow and drive on and go to work on, build houses on, that it went under the curse of sin against its own will. And then it can't wait, and it's trying to shake it off. It's trying to get this sin off of it, and it can't wait for Christ to return to to make everything right again. So I want to show you some verses um, about about this. It says, Romans 6.14, I love this verse. We're talking about dominion. It says, for sin shall have, shall not, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So Romans 6.14 says, for, uh, you know, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, that may be a little confusing because you can think, well, what does it mean under the law? Well, you jump back to the Old Testament, Ten Commandments. Um, when the New Testament was written, you know, Jesus hadn't died very long ago. He, he raised from the dead and left, and they're kind of going out. It hasn't been very long since that happened. They were all under the law of Moses, which is the Ten Commandments. But for the Jews, the Ten Commandments weren't enough. They had to take them, and they created like 600 more uh, rules that they had to follow. Now, the Word of God says in the New Testament that the law empowers sin. That the law empowers sin. Now, you say, well, what does that mean? What that means is, is that as these people, as the Jewish nation tried to keep the law, tried to keep the rules, it was impossible. They could not do it. Pastor Rusty taught two weeks ago, and he did the example of the lamb and how they would bring the sacrifice, put their hands on it to transfer their sin, because they couldn't keep these 600 rules. I mean, how would you even keep track of them? There's so many. A 10 would be easy. But even if we went across the room today and said, name all the 10 commandments, probably very few of us could get through all of them. I mean, we could probably name a handful, but we don't know them because the law empowers sin because what is it based on? It's based on your performance, right? You have to look at your life and say, am I keeping all of the rules? And so what that did is that put them under the curse of the law and it gave sin power in their lives. And so God said, we have to do something different. We have to come up with something different. And the whole idea of the law, side note, the whole idea of the law was to point to Jesus. It was to prove that you can't do it on your own. Quit trying. It's impossible. Just give up, okay? 
You know, God thought, man, if I'll make them follow all these rules for, you know, a couple hundred years, when Jesus shows up, they'll want him. But God had to be disappointed when they're like, put him on the cross. And so Jesus shows up, and it says in that verse, it says, I'm not under law, but under grace. Jesus is the only person who could do it. Jesus was perfect. He had to be perfect. Pastor Rusty talked about that with the lamb. The lamb had to be perfect. If it had a spot, broken leg, twisted ankle, you couldn't bring the old dead one up you know, with one leg chewed off from, from, from something else. You couldn't do that. Jesus was perfect when he died on the cross. Now, this is where it gets good. This is, I'm stealing all of this from the podcast, okay, from Dad's series in 2016, Jack and all of it. It says that sin doesn't have dominion over us, but we're under grace now. We're not under the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13, he redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He took that on. All right, now, Pastor Rusty talked about how that when they nailed Jesus to the cross, it was laid down on the ground. They picked the cross up, and if you've ever seen the passion of the Christ, you, you, you understand this, and it goes up and it would drop down into a hole. And Pastor said that it, it's as if when Jesus was nailed to the cross, that God picked up a hammer, right, and he took that cross and he slammed it into the ground and he hammered it in and he said, I'm taking dominion of my people back. Satan, they've belonged to you since the garden, but now I take them back. Now I redeem them from the curse of the law. I redeem them from trying to do this on their own. I heard, I heard a preacher say that, you know, why, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? You look at the, the Israelites and how they went through everything they went through. And every time God tried to do something, they weren't doing their part. Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, and what are they doing? Worshiping a gold cow. He had to think, guys, it was gone a few days. How'd you even build a cow that fast? Right? And so always, time and time again, don't, you know, don't store up manna. I'll give it to you tomorrow. What are they doing? Hiding it in the tents. Right? Everything he told them, and, they, and God said, I want to be able to bless my people whether they do their part or not. And that's grace. Right? That's grace. That's the idea. If you've been redeemed from the curse of the law, it's not up to you making it happen. It's up to God making it happen. All right, and so what he did is he put that cross in the ground and he staked his claim over you. Now, if you thought that was the good part, it's about to get insane. All right, Matthew 28, 18, 20 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, this is Jesus speaking, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Jesus says, I've been given all authority, therefore go, all right? Okay, so what Jesus does, that's in Matthew, we're going to jump down to Luke 10, uh, verse 17, and the beginning of this, he sends out 70 of his disciples, and he sends them out to go preach and teach and heal the sick. And then they come back, and they're all stoked and fired up. It says, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. All right, now we see in Matthew where Jesus says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. When he died on the cross, raised from the dead, he took all authority back from the devil, right? Now that first part, Matthew 28, he says, I've been given all authority, now go. 
right? I've been given all authority, now go. So what he's saying is, I give you my authority. The 70 disciples show back up, and they say, Jesus, we cast out demons using your name, where we're like, get out of them in the name of Jesus, and they ran off. And they're, they're stoked. They're like psyched, man, everything that's going on. And he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning, and I, and I have all authority, and I give it to you. I give you this authority. I give you this. Now, this is where it gets exciting, all right? It says, I give you authority. In the Greek, this is written in the New Testament, which is Greek, it's the word exousia, E-X-O-U-S-I-A, exousia, and it means force, freedom, power, superhuman, and strength. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, yeah. Now, a couple weeks ago, when Pastor preached, he talked about how Jesus was a Jedi Knight. How many of you know what Star Wars is? Yeah, a couple of you, couple of you, okay. This is nuts. Now, I'm going to read this to you again. All right, now this is using the original word. It says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the force to trample on serpents and scorpions. Now, if you don't know what that is, you got to go home and watch Star Wars. The first one, right? A New Hope. Yeah, I wish Malcolm was here. He would understand. It says, behold, I give you superhuman strength to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. I give you the freedom to trample on serpents and scorpions. I give you power over the enemy. Are you getting the point here? Jesus said, hey, I give it to you. No, God spoke to me. This has been a couple of years ago. I was really praying about praying about prayer. And the idea of prayer, you know how we pray? It's, it's no fault of our own, but we say, God, I just pray that you would bless my finances. God, I pray that you would just bless my kids. God, would you speak your grace and love over them and, and just you move? And you know what Jesus said? I already gave you the authority. Why are you asking for me to do something? You do it. What did Jesus say? You know, Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, the devil tried to take this from us. I've bought you back. Now Go right? Go in power, go in strength. What did he tell Gideon? Mighty man of valor, mighty man of God, go in your strength, right? And he's telling us the same exact thing right here in Luke. But you know what the devil wants us to do? The devil wants to get you into Stockholm syndrome. He wants you just to accept the ways of the world. This is just the way things are. This is just how life is. My marriage will always be like this. This is just what's wrong with my kids. This is just what's wrong with my job. I'll never make any more money than this. And you know what he's saying? He's saying go in your power. Go in your superhuman strength. Go with force and take it back. And so the way you're supposed to pray is you're supposed to say, in the power and the authority of the name of Jesus, I take my finances under my domain, right? That's what God's calling us to do. He's saying to take it over your domain. God, I take my job under my dominion, under your covering, under your name, right? When your kids leave the house, you lay your hands on them and you say, I call you under the dominion of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would go in your power. But we're like, my kids, you know, they're just not very smart. I mean, just not the sharpest tool in the shed, right? They just struggle in school. I just, you know, it's that stinking teacher. I pray that you have the mind of Christ and that you would go in power and might. And I call your mind, I call your school, I call your teachers under the dominion of Christ. And I pray right now that you have favor, that everybody likes you no matter where you go. But we're like, I just don't know what's wrong with my kids. Right? We do it with our job. 
You know, when you drop your kids off at school, you should say, God, in the name of Jesus, I call that school under your dominion. Right now, under the dominion of the cross, I call that school right now. The, the, the teachers, the principal, the coaches, the, the decision makers, we call them under the dominion of Christ. But what do we do? We move into Stockholm Syndrome. This is just the way things are. I've got no say. I've got no power. I've got no, no way to do this. And so I'm running out of time, but we're going to jump to part two, and I'm going to show you how to do this, how to break this mindset of Stockholm Syndrome. Now, we, we look at Romans 12, 2, and it says, don't conform, but renew your mind. Renew your mind. That's what we're focusing on. And how do we do that? We do this by reading our Bibles. All right, Paul, he's writing a letter, and he tells them, don't, don't quit teaching publicly. Don't quit teaching publicly and exhorting and teaching till I get there. So he's talking about reading the word. As I read the Bible over you right now this morning, your mind is being renewed. Now I want to show you 2 Timothy 3.16. This is an incredible verse. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I mean, that's it. I mean, that's it right there. As you read the word of God, it's going to teach you. It's going to correct you. It's going to show you where you're wrong. It's going to show you what you need to fix. God's going to use it to equip and prepare you. It's like equipped and prepare his people to do every good work. What was every good work? Jesus said, go, go in my name. Take back. See, Jesus bought us back, his people. When he died on the cross, he set all of us free. Every one of us. Now, he didn't get the world back. He just got us back. But what did he say? He said, I've been given all authority. I give you that authority. Now you go back and you take from the devil what he's taken from you. You take your home. You take your kids, your marriage, your spouse, right? Your family, right? When you go to a family event on the way, you say, God, I call your, your dominion over this family event. Your grace, we, we command it to go forth in the name of Jesus, Right? And, and God is saying, take back right, what the devil's you know, taken from us. And, and he tells us that as you read his word, he's going to equip you to do that. And you say, well, well I, I can't do that. I can't pray like that. You know, I, I don't have that in me. As you read the word, right? as you put that in you, things will come out of you that you never thought possible. Because you're putting the word in you. Now, now all right, now this is, this is cool. Hebrews 4.12. 4.12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Here's what you need to understand about the Bible. The Bible is alive. Not, not kind of theoretically, physically, that book is alive. I heard a long time ago that when you read the Bible, you don't read it, it reads you. Right, you're putting this live presence. The Bible says in John uh, chapter one, it says, uh, the word became flesh. You know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. Somehow Jesus is the word. The word became flesh. Jesus took on flesh. He is the word. When you hold the Bible in your hands and you read it, whether it's on a phone, a device, or a leatherback Bible, you are holding the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in your hands. 
And as you read it, you take in this living power that is Jesus Christ that can cut between spirit and soul. And you think about that. Think about anything the devil's tried to attack you with, with your spirit, which is, you know, mind and, and heart and your soul, your innermost being, the thing that will live in you forever, and that you can cut things off of that. You can begin to shave off what's been said over your mind, what's been said over your heart with the word of God because it is living. Psalms 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So if we just, if we just jump back over renewing our minds, we know in 2 Timothy that God's going to use the word to teach us what's true and what's right and what's wrong in our lives, to correct us when we're wrong, to teach us to do what is right. He's going to prepare and equip us with it to do his good work, which is to go and spread his dominion over the world. And we know that the word of God is alive and sharper than any sword, any sword ever made, and then it cuts soul and spirit. And then the word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path to guide and direct us. We talked about last week how that in... Romans 12, 2, it says that if you'll renew your mind, uh, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. And what they were saying is, is as you renew your mind to the word, God will reveal his will for your life. And that, that, that verse in Psalm says that he'll guide you. He'll show you the way. I heard somebody say one time, well, when I read the Bible, I don't understand it. That's perfectly fine because it understands you because it's alive and it's living. You don't have to understand it. See, you know, Pastor Rusty can read verses and you think, how in the world did you get that out of there? He's been studying it for about 40 years, intensely. I, I mean, you know, you know, that's like, that's like uh, actors and you think, man, I, I wish I could look as good as an actor. They work out constantly. They do it for a living. You get up and go to your job, they get up and go to the gym, right? They have personal trainers. You think, I wish I could understand the Bible like Pastor. He does it for a living right? He does it every day, day in, day out. You know what we do at the office all day? We preach to each other, back and forth. Dad and I went to the lake, tested out our boat, got it worked on, and the whole time, all we did is preach to each other, back and forth. Best sermons happen on the boat at the lake. We need to, like, record them and put them online. Best sermons ever. And, and, and as you read the Word, it doesn't matter that you don't understand it like he does or like I do. Read it, because it's alive, it's living, it's powerful, it's going to correct you. You're going to read it, you're not going to understand it, and you're going to think, something's going to pop in your head, I need to change this in my life. It's because the Bible's reading you. The Bible's guiding you, directing you. When you're in church, right, and you sit here, and, and I read a verse, or I say something, and a verse pops into your mind, you think, oh, man, he really should have used that. God's speaking to you. God's using the word to direct you. So if you would, bow your head and, and close your eyes. I want to encourage you this morning that God has given you authority. God has given you power. And to stake your claim, stake your dominion, the dominion of Christ over your life. Verbally out of your mouth, you begin to do that. And the strength and the courage and the, and, and the know-how of this comes through the word of God. It comes through reading your Bible. And you can start small with the verse of the day on the YouVersion Bible app. You can read a chapter. You can even have it read it to you. You can get online and listen to the podcast and God will use that to speak to you. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus, and I pray right now that you would give us the courage and the ability to stake our claim, to spread your dominion, to spread and enforce the cross 
over our lives, over our jobs, our families, our marriages. Father God, we right now, we call everything under your dominion. We call the city of Tulia, our schools, our businesses, our restaurants. Father God, everyone in charge, we call them under your dominion right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray as we read your word that you would teach us, you would correct us, you would show us things that no one else could. You would reveal to us things that no one else could, and you would give us the know-how. You would shine the light on the path of how to get there, Father. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen.